Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The information depicted in this podcast is purely for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine. Hey everyone and welcome to the Boost Your Biology podcast. My name is Lucas and I'm the founder of Ergogenic Health. Together in this podcast series, we will go underground to explore cutting edge health and human performance insights that you simply cannot search on Google to help you upgrade your existence. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Organifi. If you're into high-performance superfood powder blends to boost your smoothies, then you simply can't go past Organifi. Organifi uses the highest quality plant-based ingredients for optimal health with organic ingredients and less than three grams of sugar per serving. Not only that, but their products are also very delicious. Visit Organifi.com forward slash boost. That is O-R-G-A-N-I fi.com forward slash boost for 20% off all products. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash boost. What's up fam? Lucas here. I want to take a moment to announce a couple of things to all my new listeners on the podcast. Firstly, if you're looking to upgrade your brain function, whether that be through reducing brain fog, enhancing verbal fluency, improving confidence, motivation, drive, or even orgasm intensity, then check out my nootropics course, which can be found on my website at www.ergogenic.health. And you'll see at the top, it will say courses where you can use the discount code BYB15 to save 15% off. 
In addition, I also have a sleep optimization masterclass and a testosterone optimization course that can also be accessed on my website. Again, you can use the same discount code BYB15 to save 15% off. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the Boost Your Biology podcast. Today, I have a very special guest joining me in all the way from Canada. Um, It's 7.30am Melbourne time and 3.30 in the afternoon in Canada. So joining me in is Dr. Woga. She is a naturopathic physician from uh, Canada. So today, we're going to be talking all things optimizing health and preventing disease. So Dr. Woga, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here. Awesome. So maybe do you want to give my listeners a bit of a background into, I guess, maybe your journey and what you do on a day-to-day basis? Absolutely. So I am a naturopathic doctor, which um, in Ontario or in Canada is a four-year university uh, program and then an additional four years of naturopathic medical school. So, um, and then of course, one year of interning. So um, I've completed that and am in clinical practice and I do a lot of hormone work, stress work, inflammatory diseases. Those types of things are my clinical focus. Um, I also am a very evidence-based practitioner. So I do a lot of functional medicine alongside uh, naturopathic medicine and, of course, a lot of research. So that um, is involved in my everyday practice with my patients and as well with anything that I do health-related. Awesome. Yeah. I was just curious with the, um, obviously combining the functional medicine analysis, like with blood work analysis versus like understanding the client from a naturopathic point of view, like how, how do you sort of balance between the two? It's very similar, actually. So um, the naturopathic point of view takes the perspective of the patient as a whole. So we look at all of their health history, all of their lifestyle factors, all of like everything they're doing, basically, and then combining it into one. And then functional medicine does a very similar process where they're looking at timelines. So timelines going from, you know, when they were younger to, you know, their mid-20s, maybe maybe mid-30s and then into wherever they are at this stage. And then most of the testing is quite similar between naturopathic and functional. So between naturopathic and functional, we order the same tests, the same blood work, um, those kinds of things. So there's not much difference when it comes to that kind of aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, like there's a huge underlying component, obviously, with most clients. And that is like, some degree of stress or, you know, physical or mental stress in their life. So how do you go about, I guess, um, supporting them in that regard? Like what, what do you sort of do to help approach their, um, their stress? Absolutely. So first we want to find out where the stress is coming from or what is the stressor that is causing them concern. And then we backtrack and we kind of see where we can make improvements. Can we actually change that stressor? Because a lot of the times we can't change the stressor. And so then we need to make sure that we 
deal with the stressor from a physical standpoint and an emotional standpoint. So things like meditation, things like quieting the brain, the deep breathing practices, even nutrition um, has a play. Uh, in that uh, stress reduction. So anything to reduce the physical effects of the stress if we cannot actually change the stressor. So first we want to find out, can we change it? If we can't, then we need to adapt. And sometimes that involves adding in additional supplements just for further help uh, to relax that nervous system and, you know, get into that kind of rest and digest mode. Yeah. Awesome. So as part of, because obviously I've got like 12 more weeks of my naturopathy degree, my four-year course. So a lot of the... Um, yeah, can't wait to finish. Um, we do talk a lot about um, some of the nervines, some of the adaptogenic nervines like lemon balm and um, go-to cola and things like that. And then obviously you just mentioned supplementation. So there's, there's one key supplement that we as naturopaths love to talk about and that's magnesium. So do you want to sort of discuss... Um, how magnesium can be so beneficial for stress management. Yeah, absolutely. Just a little bit of background on magnesium too and why it is used so much in the naturopathic and functional medicine community. Um, it's a essential mineral. So meaning we have to get it from the outside. Our body doesn't produce it. So we need to bring it in either through supplementation or through food. It's also the fourth most abundant mineral in the body. So it's found in really high concentrations in our bones, our heart, our muscles. And what we have to understand from that is that it has its hand in almost everything that our body actually does. So it's a really, really important um, mineral. And when we come to stress, what it can do is it just helps to downgrade that stress response. So downgrade that physical tension and the things that happen when we get into that stress response. Uh, it reduces cortisol levels and it allows the nervous system to be balanced out. And alongside of that, when we see stress, chronic stress, we know that chronic stress comes with inflammation. And inflammation is also another problem that we see when people are going through stressful periods of time where there's just no relenting in that stress. And so magnesium is also really important because it's actually um, able to deal with some of that inflammation and reduce some of that inflammatory response. So double whammy there. Yeah. Yeah, obviously there's um, a variety of different magnesium supplements on the market and I've personally experimented with probably like six to seven different types over the years. I'm sure you're pretty much the same. Um, yeah. Have you found, like, is there one in particular that, are, that you notice has the strongest sort of anti-stress effect? Yeah, so we have to remember that as with any mineral, magnesium has to be bound to something to be absorbed in the body. So all of these different forms of magnesium are bound to a, a molecule. So whether it's an amino acid or anything else, it's just that's what makes it absorbable. But I think there's three that I like to use depending upon the situation. So uh, magnesium bisglycinate is probably my favorite. It is the most absorbable as well as the most tolerable. So sometimes magnesium can 
give us a little bit of digestive upset. And this form of magnesium, it's actually really great because it doesn't require stomach acid for its absorption. Mm. So people who have a lot of uh, issues with digestion or nutrient absorption, this would be a really great form. And normally when they're in chronic stress mode, their digestion is usually out too. So it makes this form probably my favorite for um, any type of stress inflammatory issue. Yeah. 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 I've had, um, I've used magnesium bisglycinate. I've used the magnesium taurates. Um, I actually fell in love with the magnesium L3 and eight. Did you ever, did you ever research that one at all? Yeah, I use L3 and eight actually quite a bit in practice for many different cognitive brain health, um, mood disorders, those types of things. I, it's fairly new here. I'd say maybe in the last five, four, five years. Um, so it was hard to get initially. So, but I do love it. It's the only form of magnesium that is able to cross the blood brain barrier. So it's a really critical player when it comes to mood, memory, those types of things. I use it in concussion patients as well. Um, and I find that there's real significant benefit there. It's, it's, they get reduction of their symptoms usually within a week to 10 days, you see, you know, some form of improvement that is significant. So, um, and they've done a lot of um, interesting studies with this particular form for dementia and memory and cognitive decline. And they were saying the individuals that were on the L3 and 8 had nine years, um, difference in memory so they were like nine years like younger in memory capacity than you know their actual age so it was actually pretty fascinating yeah yeah it's um it's cool seeing more and more research coming out on the different types of magnesiums because um yeah i think it's i think it would be sort of not irresponsible but i guess um to take full advantage of the benefits of magnesium you really need to obviously work with a practitioner or understand the form and, and understand the different dosages because they're not all created equal. They'll like some of them have different effects. You know, the one you mentioned before sort of mentioning how some of them can cause that GI upset classic example would be magnesium citrate, um, which can cause an oxide as well, magnesium oxide, um, which I think I actually did a post breaking down the different, the different types of magnesium. I think I did that one with like Bernadette. Abraham at one stage. Um, So one thing I do want to like, so magnesium oxide, that's the the one we kind of want to watch for because it is not absorbable by our body, but it's often in a lot of synergistic magnesium supplements. So Mm. um, where they're putting more than one form of magnesium into the supplement. The problem with those is they never tell you how much of that supplement is oxide. So if it says 200 milligrams, 150 could be oxide and 50 could be the remainder. So I usually try to steer steer away from that kind of, um, you know, combination if it does involve oxide, but citrate, yes. Um, Everybody has different dosages. It depends too, because we have to remember magnesium 
depletes in our body at different amounts, depending upon what's going on. So we lose magnesium through several different ways. So if you are on a medication such as a diuretic or a statin or a PPI, and you love sugar and you're chronically stressed and you work out like crazy, you're going to like have no magnesium. You're going to be depleting it all the time because these are all ways of depletion. So you may require 800 milligrams of magnesium versus somebody who doesn't have all those things. They may only require 400. And the recommended daily amount, which is the minimum that we need, is 310 to 400 milligrams. So yeah, it's fairly low. Yeah, obviously that that same sort of um, that rule does apply with most of the other minerals, right? Like most of them have like a recommended daily intake that's so so low that just meets the body's requirements. But like the body's requirements nowadays are just demands on the body are so high now that obviously we're stripped away from these minerals. So I'm curious to know how um, you go about measuring someone's uh, magnesium status. Like do you rely on blood testing at all? Yes. So there's... There's a problem there too. So the regular serum magnesium will only actually test 1%, the 1% that's in actually circulation, which is very inadequate because we're not testing what's actually in the tissue and and, and in the bones. So what we want to look for is an RBC, so a red blood cell magnesium serum blood test. And so this will test kind of what's in the tissues and is a bit more reliable. And you want to be at the higher end of that range because they've actually looked at research where if you were at the lower end of the range, you were actually still experiencing magnesium deficiency. So you need to really be at the higher end of of the range because the range is quite wide for RBC magnesium, Mm. but that is definitely the test that you would want to look for and not the magnesium serum test isn't going to give you an adequate amount. That's an extremely important point for those um, doing blood work analysis, things like that, because uh, oftentimes most doctors won't do that RBC magnesium or RBC zinc or the other minerals. Um, So that's a very important point. Um, Just out of curiosity, for the clients or for those that supplement with calcium, to preserve bone mineral density or after menopause, things like that. Like, did you want to discuss maybe the link between magnesium and calcium and how they interact in the body? Yeah. So I usually make my patients figure out how much calcium they're actually getting from their food because unfortunately we get 10 times more calcium than we do magnesium. So when that happens, that gives us a great propensity for stones, um, for calcium calcification in the arteries, because we need magnesium in order to break calcium down in the body and to actually make it go to the bone. And vitamin D is involved in that as well. And if we look at what activates vitamin D in the liver, it's an enzyme that requires magnesium. So if you're not getting enough magnesium, you've got all this calcium coming in and you're trying to get vitamin D to convert, it's all not happening. And we end up with a lot of calcification in the arteries and we get 
stones, either gallstones, kidney stones, bladder stones. And where we see this dramatically is in menopausal women, because often these women are given calcium uh, to preserve their bone health. So one of the first things I get them to do is really record what they're intaking as far as calcium from foods. We know calcium can be quite high and that's not including dairy products. So, you know, everybody's like, oh, but I don't eat dairy products, but you really don't need to. And you can still hit the amount that you need to be, um, getting in that daily. So we look at how much they get. And then from there, we decide if they actually do need to supplement and then we appropriately supplement with magnesium. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the, um, the other synergistic, um, nutrient vitamin, vitamin D, the fact that magnesium's required to activate vitamin D in the liver, um, which is really important. Um, so what about another like synergistic nutrient of, uh, and vitamin, vitamin K2? Do you want to sort of talk about how maybe that's linked in with like calcium management as well? Yeah. So what K2 does, and, and here in Canada, we have a lot of vitamin D supplements that are actually bound with K2. Yeah. And the reason we want K2 is because K2 is going to direct that calcium to the bone and away from the artery. So that is what K2's job is in that in that supplement. So what we want is, but we still kind of have to backtrack and make sure that we're not getting excessive amounts of calcium with no magnesium in order for K2 to do its job properly of directing that calcium then to the bone and away from the arteries. Mm, yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome summary there. So what about, um, is there a role for magnesium uh, in terms of detoxification? Like does, does magnesium play a role at all to support uh, detoxification of hormones or anything? Yeah. So it's, Magnesium does play a role with a lot of hormones. So it's it's needed for a lot of hormonal support. So our thyroid hormone, it's obviously insulin, um, which is needed for insulin, um, healthy insulin function. And then we also, we have to remember that magnesium helps in the manufacturing and um, production of our steroid hormones. And that includes progesterone, estrogen, and testosterone. But where I think we see magnesium shine is it's also required in a detox pathway to clear estrogen. Mm. So estrogen clearance is really what we were meaning when we talk about that is our body's ability to break down the estrogen and remove it from the body. So if estrogens are not properly metabolized and cleared by the liver, then of course we can reabsorb them and uh, it goes basically you end up with estrogen dominance or you end up with just too much circulating estrogen. So where magnesium comes in is that it supports healthy estrogen clearance and it supports something called the COMPT enzyme uh, in the liver. And then what happens is it promotes then that healthy excretion of estrogen. And of course, it will then decrease excess estrogen conditions. So Mm. um, it really um, neutralizes that enzyme neutralizes the estrogen that's made in that phase one detox and makes it more water soluble so that you can basically eliminate it through your bowels and through urination. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So in regards to, I guess, with the magnesium playing a role, you obviously mentioned that it helps with that 
estrogen clearance, um, helping the body detoxify accumulated estrogen. So maybe you want to talk about how estrogen can dampen metabolism or how it impacts thyroid function? Yeah, so, well, it depends because thyroid function, again, is run by magnesium, right? So magnesium is really essential in the production of that thyroid hormone. So if we're not getting enough magnesium, we're not going to produce enough thyroid hormone. And of course, it's very important in the conversion of T4 into T3. So estrogen can impact our hormones in a lot of different ways. It can impact our cortisol, it can impact our insulin, and it can impact our thyroid. So if we have excess estrogen in the system, this leads to many different conditions that we then have other areas in the body that we then need to correct or rectify. And that can be vast and it depends on really where you know, where that's happening. It could be anything from like endometriosis where we see an excess estrogen, but it's also a hormonal issue and an inflammatory issue and an immune issue, right? So they're not compartmentalized into individual units in the body. Yeah, that's a really great point that you're emphasizing the fact that there's multiple systems at play for low these conditions. It's not just focusing on the hormones when really that's the way you describe that is, is a very naturopathic approach is what we learn. You know, that's what I wish most practitioners learned because um, it's, you know, viewing the body as a whole. Um, so I want to switch it up and discuss a little bit about um, the vagal nerve because I know, I mean, did you want to explain to my listeners because they may not have even ever heard of the, the, the vagus nerve. Um, so do you want to sort of discuss that a little bit more? Absolutely. So the vagus nerve is one of our largest nerves in our body and it basically originates in the brain. And then it kind of runs down and branches out into multiple different directions to the neck and torso. And then from there, it's responsible for many actions. So um, it's actually, we often look at it as a singular nerve, but it's actually, um, it has a right and a left. So it pairs out. And I really love it because the name that is given to it in um, Latin, which is Vegas, but is wandering in English, because that's really what it does. It wanders all the way down um, and it plays a big role in how we swallow our food, control our breathing, um, our liver function, blood pressure, gallbladder emptying, digestive enzymes, motor function, gut motor function, uh, immune system. It manages inflammation. It, it's, it's involved in everything basically from the brain to the waist. And so anything that happens in that bi-directional way, the vagus nerve is involved. And so it is a two-way network of communication between the brain and then most of our organs. And so 80% of that information flows um, into the vagus nerve from the organs um, of the body, and then 25% goes from the brain to the body. So we know that the organs are speaking to the brain um, in a a huge way through the vagus nerve. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we have to kind of, we don't talk about this a lot, but making sure that we have a proper vagus nerve or what actually makes our vagus nerve dysfunctional mm. is also things that 
happen in everyday life, toxins and chronic stress and inflammation and sleep that's not ideal or, you know, quality and quantity of sleep, a poor gut microbiome, you know, the way we breathe, those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. It's a super critical point, I guess, for people to understand if they have digestive issues or they have issues with um, relaxation or um, stress, it does appear to mediate a lot of the um, functions. And it's, it's funny how, you know, we get more signals sent from the gut to the brain. It's not the other way around. Like, so if you're getting um, IBS like symptoms or irritated or irritation endotoxin in the gut, then it's likely that it's going to then trigger anxiety and like, or just a, um, a learned helplessness sort of state. So what can people do if they want to like nourish or support their vagus nerve? What can they do to actually help stimulate it? Yeah. Uh, just going back, I, I always say to patients, the vagus nerve plays a role in both our sickness and our healing. So we kind of have to decide where we want to be on that uh, continuum. So yeah, yeah absolutely. So how are we going to optimize the vagal tone is what they call that. So things like having cold showers or gargling vigorously. And when I say gargling, I mean to the point of tears, right? So we need to really activate that center at the back of our throat. Mm. And, you know, things like yoga. Yoga actually can activate our um, bagel tone or singing really loudly or chanting, meditation. I like to use acupuncture in the ear uh, or regular acupuncture because there are points in the ear that um, do connect to the vagus. Uh, and so I like to do that with people who I find like have really dysfunctional vagal tone. So we do that and we stimulate it a little bit and yeah, get some good results. That's amazing. I haven't heard of the um, acupuncture, acupressure point. What's, what's the actual point called? There's the oscillator and the master and then the shen. Wow. Okay. And so when people get that um, sort of treatment, do they notice an acute, like, do they notice like an acute effect from it? They don't at the moment. It's when the needles actually come out. Uh, So it's like afterwards. So usually what I um, find is they leave. And then when I see them the next time, they're like, oh, by the time I got to the car, it was like, I can like feel it. It, it. It's like this little lag time of about a half an hour. Wow. Um, and then, yeah, like it needs to be done uh, a few times in order to really get it to hold. But it's, it's really powerful for people who want to do that aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I'll have to, I'll have to dive deep into some of that research because that, that really fascinates me. I probably have to book a session in myself just to see how it feels, I guess. Um, yeah, one, it's not always comfortable. Let me yeah. forewarn you. <laughs> oh, really? As in like the, um, the um, period or? Yeah, it's just where the needles go because the cartilage is in the ear. So it's not like quite as, you know, if you're doing acupuncture on the skin, there's a little bit of a cushion. So right. it's just, I've had it done a few times and, you know, it's, it's bearable, but you get used to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure I've run... Uh, worse experiments on myself before. So I should, I reckon I'll be all right. So um, what about, so something that came up in my mind was the fact that, you know how we have these bitter herbs. So like we've got these gentian and um, a lot of these bitter herbs. It sort of makes me wonder whether or not they actually help stimulate 
the vagus nerve. Have you seen any research at all in, in that realm? I haven't seen research directly saying that it stimulates the vagal tone. Obviously, it does stimulate the digestive fire part of the gut, which we could probably then connect back to vagal tone. Yeah. Uh, but I don't. I haven't heard of actually any direct correlation between taking a bitter and actually stimulating the vagus nerve. Yeah, interesting. Maybe I'll have to fund a study one day. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe 10 years down the track when I've got enough funds (laughs) to, you know, maybe have my own center or whatever. It's a long way off. Um, All right. Well, let's let's transition over into a little bit on leaky gut. Um, I've spoken about this on my YouTube channel, um, talking about certain healing peptides, one in particular, BPC-157. But let's Let's discuss, did you want to break down this term leaky gut? Very simply for my audience first up. Right. So leaky gut is kind of like the term we use. Uh, The medical term would be increased permeability. And basically it's a digestive condition issue where the tight junctions in the intestines that usually hold the walls of the intestines together become loose. Mm. And so if we look at, if we interlock our fingers, we see there's a tight junction there. It's kind of like having a little bit letting go of that tight junction. And now we've got an area where we can have undigested food particles, toxins, microbes, anything like that escape our gut and enter our bloodstream. And Mm. so when these things enter our bloodstream, our immune system is like, whoa, (laughs) don't know what this is. And it triggers a inflammatory kind of reaction. And of course, this also triggers our immune system. So Mm. um, it's, a lot more popular than um, we'd like to believe. And there wasn't a lot of good indication from the medical community on leaky gut up until like a couple of years ago. So this has really increased. And we see that this is really a proponent of autoimmune disease, usually. So, um, and we can see why, because of the huge amounts of inflammation, which is happening all the time. If this is, if you have leaky gut and you're eating three meals a day and food particles are getting through and into the bloodstream, this is a constant issue. This is not just happening, you know, one hour a day. So we can see how it can really, really build up. And there's, there's a lot of causes of leaky gut. And so you really need to find out what it is that's causing that, what's happening there. Like why, like, is it because you've got inflammation already? Are you taking medications that are causing these junctions to kind of become loosened? Alcohol is a real good one. Um, anybody who's had any type of infections or even food poisoning sometimes can do that. Um, poor diet, obviously toxins, stress, gluten. If you have a gluten sensitivity and you're consuming gluten on a, on a, you know, regular basis, that's going to all be contributing to that. Yeah. Yeah. There's obviously a lot of, um, a lot of offending factors when it comes to leaky gut. Uh, so maybe did you want to discuss what your what your go tos are from like a supplement point of view, maybe a food based point of view to actually help to 
support and strengthen that gut integrity? Yeah, so we can do a lot for leaky gut as naturopathic doctors and functional medicine specialists. Um, so first of all, we want to optimize the diet. We want to remove the offending agent. So whatever it is that's causing the leaky gut, we obviously want to take that out. Um, we want to remove like you know, if we don't know exactly what food sensitivity, we would probably want to start with the big ones, you know, dairy, gluten, soy, corn, those kinds of things until we can figure out which one it is. Um, I like to always do gluten, dairy, eggs, sugar, and alcohol or um, coffee, caffeine. So those are kind of my go-tos. And then we want to include things like bone broths and um, quercetin, like fruits, so blueberries, onions, green tea, that kind of stuff to help with that healing and repairing. Um, when I'm looking at it from a supplement perspective, I want to look at something that's got some L-glutamine in there. I always like to refer to L-glutamine as the glue. It's going to glue those junctions back together again. I like to use demulcents, so like slippery elm, marshmallow root, um, okra, those kinds kinds of things. Um, we can bring in some fatty acids. Collagen is really good. And then of course, zinc, because we know the immune system's involved. So we want to make sure that we support that. And then I usually get people to bring in like fats, like healing fats. So these could be things like avocado, olive oil, um, chia seeds, flax seeds. These things are very um, nourishing to the intestinal tract, especially if there is a little bit of inflammation and irritation going on. Yeah, there's some great points there. Hopefully my listeners can um, incorporate <laughs> some, of those, um, some of those foods and, and nutrients. And what's really important to note is that, you know, you touched on vitamin, uh, like glutamine and then um, zinc. But all of these, like all of these vitamins, we should be getting regardless if we have leaky gut or not. Like, so for example, vitamin A, yet another nutri a nutrient that can help with epithelial cell differentiation and help with leaky gut. So I think it, it is really important that um, whatever somebody's health issue is, that we as naturopaths, we do need to start, and which is why we start in the gut, because it's so fundamental to so many um, health. To, you know, for health issues. So, um, out of curiosity, have there been any clients that you've worked with that have not come to you with gut issues, but you've you've actually started working on their gut, and then the other issues have resolved? I have had clients or patients that have come in that say they don't have any gut issues. So, you know, they're. They're like, oh, my digestion's fine. I, I don't have any bloating. I don't have any gas. I don't have any of these things. And this is wrong with me. And it's, you know, something else. But then usually when we work backwards, we see that the gut is still involved. So mm -hmm. even though they don't have any symptoms per se, we still see when we did testing that there were issues that we could correct that would actually help this other issue that was going on. Yeah. Um, but I would say predominantly the amount, like the amount of patients that come in with gut health issues, it's high. It's yeah. 70, 80% of the patients come in, have some form of issue that's digestive related. Yeah. And yeah, so it definitely all starts there. And, 
you know, diet and lifestyle is so important when it comes to like gut health. Right. And it's like, I know we, we talk a lot about supplements and we talk a lot about all these different things, but you know, I always try to steer my patients back to you know, it's diet and lifestyle. When you look at the things that cause leaky gut or a lot of the issue, it's a lot of it is lifestyle, right? So it's, it really goes back to that and making sure we have the basics and then we use the supplements as a helping hand. And then um, while that, whatever is going on is going on. And then we really heavily rely on, on diet and lifestyle. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what about explaining what does a normal what does normal digestive function look like? So, because like you said, your clients that came in, they didn't actually mention they had digestive issues. What does normal digestive function look like, including stools and things like that? So, <laughs> in a perfect world with no issues, normal digestive function would be we would eat a meal. We would digest it. It wouldn't be like sitting there. It kind of breaks down within the right amount of time. It moves through the digestive tract. We don't experience any type of discomfort. So no bloating, no gas, no, you know, swelling of the abdomen, no water retention. Mm. Um, It breaks down and it keeps going. And then we have a bowel movement. Um, That in a perfect world is happening without any issues and or complaints. So we have problems that start in the mouth, right? So if people don't chew their food properly, right there, we've got already problem number one, and then it just kind of goes down. So, and of course that means it's not experiencing any heartburn, not experiencing any, you know, burping or all of these things, which are all part of digestion. And some people don't even realize that, you know, oh yeah, I burp a lot after I eat my meal. That is a digestive issue, right? You shouldn't have to do that. Um, So yeah. And digestive you know, just the digestive function. Are you creating enough enzymes to break your food down properly? And are you absorbing it? Are you able to absorb it? Because that's a whole nother problem. Yeah. Yeah. Some fundamental points there. And hopefully people build up that that self-awareness now after listening to that and and checking in with themselves like, hey, maybe I do have some degree of digestive issue that needs to be addressed. Um, yeah. So what about um, just from your personal interest, like what are some areas of research that you're really looking forward to seeing more of like in the future? Uh, I, well, so I prescribe to research papers that whenever there's a certain topic that they release a paper on, I get notification of. So right now I, I'm really entrenched in like a lot of the inflammatory. So a lot of the autoimmune um, issues, I deal with a lot of autoimmune in my practice. Um, I'm seeing a lot more of the autoimmune conditions that used to be so rare, like, you know, um, crest syndromes and, um, you know, muscle tissue um, issues. So these are actually becoming more popular and we're mm. kind of trying to figure out why and what's happening in the, in, 
just in the environment or in the individual itself. So I, I look at a lot of research when it comes to autoimmune. I also look at a lot of research when it comes to inflammation. And I'm always on the research bandwagon for magnesium. So there's <laughs> over 12,000 publications for magnesium right now. And they just keep bringing out more and more. So... Yeah. yeah, and you've read eleven thousand nine hundred ninety-nine of them. <laughs> I've read a lot. <laughs> yes, I've read a lot. So when something new comes out, it's like, <gasps> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Well, um, yeah, for my listeners, if they want to learn more about you and some of the content that you create, because I know that's how we connected through Instagram. Um, you have an amazing Instagram profile. You talk a lot about magnesium. So do you want to? give my listeners a chance to connect with you online? Yeah, so I do most of my online information is at Instagram. So I'm at Dr. Barb Woger and there I do talk a lot about magnesium and the research and I do do a lot on inflammation as well as I touch into other things like the vagus nerve and thyroid issues and stuff like that. So um, yeah, there's a nice mix. So you can find me there and you can obviously always get in touch with me through that um, platform. And then alternatively, I have a website that is just my name, barbwolger.com. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll be listing those links um, in the podcast description. And Dr. Voga, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure discussing naturopathic philosophies with someone who understands this stuff. <laughs> it's been my absolute pleasure and I'm so happy you're almost done. <laughs> yeah. That's 12 so more weeks and then I'm fully qualified naturopath. So That's amazing. Congratulations and thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for tuning in and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thank you everyone for joining in to today's episode. For in-depth show notes and lessons learned, visit nofilter.media forward slash boost your biology. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.